When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. of Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. Joining me this week, we have a brand new guest. Uh, he is known on Twitter as Patrick J. Dylan, and that is his name. No relation, as far as we know. Patrick, welcome to Pod Dylan. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for, for coming on. Now, as I said, now there's there's no relation, right, to, to the man himself? No. Okay, now tell unfortunately, us. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Okay, now you, you need to explain a little, like that's not your actual last name, correct? No, it actually is my legal last name. It is your legal last name. Okay, now what are the odds that someone with that last name would end up being a fan of Bob Dylan? That seems improbable but how did you find your way to the men's music i uh, became a fan when i was 14 years old my freshman year of high school um i had a freshman teacher that introduced me to him just by giving me a two-disc compilation called the essential bob dylan right 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 um i took that home over a weekend and uh i never liked bob dylan before that i had heard his music before and i just thought he sounded weird so i (laughs) i I avoided him i listened to that compilation album the essential bob dylan i'm sure a lot of people have heard of it and uh i walked away a con like it was my saul's road to damascus moment um (laughs) After that, I was convinced he was one of the greatest, and slowly but surely, I had all of his albums, and uh, I became obsessed. My teacher was amazed at the conversion I took because it, it happened so quick, and within, like I said, within a short amount of time, probably about three months, I had every Bob Dylan album, and um, ever since then, I've just been crazy obsessed. That's very interesting. Now, what I mean, what was it about what you heard on The Essential Bob Dylan? For anyone who doesn't know, The Essential Bob Dylan, the title suggests it's basically his biggest hits with a couple of other little lesser-known songs thrown in. So what what on that, what about that collection really got... Actually, uh, this is kind of odd, and it's not really common. Um, It was his later stuff that really got to me. Things like Not Dark Yet and Things Have Changed. Hmm. Those were the songs that really grabbed me, because hearing that voice for the first time, that old, raggedy, gravelly voice, it opens up so many possibilities for people, not only just in your way of thinking, but... how you th- how you interpret words and music and also most importantly it makes you realize that you don't have to have a particular sounding voice in order to become successful At knowing that he had that voice and he was so popular and so successful it made me very curious to explore even more and it was those late songs like not dark yet and things have changed that really got got me off the diving board i actually after i heard that um the essential bob dylan i looked online and just typed in google uh, best Bob Dylan album, and the first one that kept popping up was Blonde on Blonde. Okay. Um, right. I I bought that, and I was I loved the entire album all the way through. I was it's like that moment that you discover something that no one else knows about, <laughs> and you feel like you have the answers to the universe, but no one else notices that you do. So you just kind of it's a lonely thing being a obsessed Bob Dylan fan because no one else understands you. <laughs> you call yourself an obsessed fan now. I, like what what is your version of obsessed? We all have our own versions of that. So what what do you can how do you consider yourself an obsessed Bob Dylan fan? Uh, I would say even more so at that time when I first got um, 
introduced to him, it's all I thought about for I'm talking 24/7. Even while I was sitting in class, I was I was thinking, oh my gosh! After this class gets out, I'm gonna listen to this song next. Um, going online, watching YouTube videos of him, um, buying every documentary that you could find, learning every word you could to every song, finding bootlegs, saving them, and uh, memorizing even the bootlegs because the bootlegs and the live recordings are so different than the studio versions. That's right. Which it, it helps you almost when you listen to live Bob Dylan songs, it's almost like rediscovering and listening to the song for the first time which i love i love that feeling uh what are some of your favorite albums blonde on blonde by far is my absolute favorite um blood on the tracks of course and even his later stuff i'd say time out of mind is up there as well as modern times that's those are all good picks (laughs) no uh, no 80 no mid 80s stuff or anything like that (laughs) jumping into that that list or anything oh mercy is up there with blonde on blonde and time out of mind um i even like the empire burlesque and knocked out loaded albums and people are amazed that i actually like them that's a real fan you're true fan you're going that yeah. the catalog that's, that's, that's absolutely true so now you're going to be seeing bob pretty soon right because he's coming around to your neck of the wood yeah he's going to be in phoenix on october 16th so i'm definitely going and it's a very long shot kind of thing but i'm trying to work behind the scenes to try and meet him as we all know it's it's a, almost an impossible endeavor, but um, <laughs> I'm working with local elected officials and uh, a few other people to try and meet him. I know it's like winning the Powerball. It's, that's my <laughs> odds, but I'm still going to try. <laughs> well, you have to try, sure. I mean, if you have any strings you could pull. Now, I'm sort of curious. Like, What what do you feel – I'm not going to ask you what you think you would say to him because obviously you'll – that's A, private, and B – you know, it'll probably not. It'll probably not come out that way if you ever did get to meet him. But what do you think in your mind is like? What is the purpose? What What do you? Is there something you want to tell him? Is there something you want to share with him? Is there something you want? Is it just you want to have a picture? I mean, what is your idea behind you? Because you have a hashtag on your Twitter page, which is hashtag I need to meet Bob Dylan. So I'm sort of curious. <laughs> yeah. What What do you think? What in my, in your mind? Why do you want to do it? You know, what? that's a good question, and honestly, I have no idea because I've heard <laughs> stories of people that have met him and they said that um it changed who they were as people and wow. it wasn't as amazing and you know as it wasn't what they thought it would be and it they wish they hadn't met him i've heard a lot of stories like that i've read a lot of them no matter regardless of that the main reason i want to meet him is because i hate to say this and i know i'm going to offend some people but he's coming towards the later stage of his life oh there's no doubt and about that he's 75 years old there's it, no yeah yeah i don't another impetus that really got me going is um i I am also a very humongous, obsessed David Bowie fan, and I wanted to meet him for a very long time. He's the exact opposite of Bob. Everyone says that he's the nicest, most humble man you could possibly meet, funny and just awesome to talk to. I wanted to meet him for a very long time, and that obviously will never happen now because he died earlier this year. I'm just filled with so much regret, never seeing him live and never engaging him in any way, and that option's never going to exist anymore so i don't want that kind of regret when it comes to bob because he's my absolute number one <laughs> okay it's interesting you know i guess it would depend on the context of how you how you meet him i mean it seems like in some weird ways you have a better chance of meeting him if you just hang around the general area because as we've heard yes. he likes to go visit so i mean you know i feel like you could be in the middle of a of a convenience store and there he'll just pop in with his hoodie on or whatever uh it's interesting you know there are a lot of people that have had a chance to meet him people would want to meet him and, and so that's it i i certainly wish you good luck with your goal i can't I, w- I I agree with you. The long, word "long shot" is probably not even 
<laughs> it's yeah. more than a long shot, but uh, hey, if you can try and pull some strings, that would be uh, an amazing thing. So uh, we wish you all the luck with that. But uh, we should get on to the song that we're here to talk about, because I don't think we've even mentioned it yet. Uh, and that song yeah. is uh, Simple Twist of Fate, which is track two from Blood on the Tracks. Uh, it follows Tangled Up in Blue, which is, um, I would argue, probably one of the three greatest Dylan songs of all time. Uh, and so uh, it's it's sort of a you know that song is propulsive and expansive and and it's everything that song is just everything and it would be hard to imagine what song could follow up to that uh, that that jolt of energy that six or seven minute rush of images and story and stuff like that that seems to encompass all of Dylan's life up to that point but simple twist of fate manages to do it because it completely changes the tone of the record uh, it is a very sad song it's a quiet song uh it's a very sort of uh the title sort of simple story about uh, i would argue it's about a man who is uh, sort of having a memory of a, an encounter he had in his life but he seems to suggest that the memory is happening to someone else like he himself can't deal with the memory uh so he's projecting it onto it happened to other people but the the tenses in the song change back and forth. It goes from I to him, back to I, and then back to him. So it has that sort of confused memory. So, you know, Patrick, why did you want to talk about this one in particular? Well, it's one of my favorite, absolutely one of my favorite songs ever. And it follows one of my other favorite songs, as you just mentioned, Tangled Up in Blue. It's it's a weird follow-up song to Tangle, Tangled Up in Blue, because like you said, it's a very energetic, you know, bolt of lightning. And then it ends, and it goes on to this absolutely depressing and <laughs> uh, somber song but it's so beautiful that transition and uh it's it's up there along with like visions of johanna and uh ballad in plain d and not dark yet as one of his most amazing songs and absolutely beautiful and uh like i said it's that it's so depressing but it's and from the very start it's depressing but it's beautiful at the same time, which is why I wanted to talk about it. I think it's one of his most interesting songs. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it opens the, the again. I as I've talked about on the, on the show before, I don't know anything about music, so I can't really express the sort of musical notations in there. Will you at the end of this this episode, you'll hear a little bit from it, of course. But uh, it, it has, as I said, it has a very dank mood. Everything feels like it's at night and it's raining. Uh, it opens up. It's it's a, it's just a series of very simple uh, couplets describing the scene, and it opens with. They sat together in the park as the evening sky grew dark. She looked at him and he felt a spark tingle to his bones. Twas that he felt alone and wished that he'd gone straight and watched out for a simple twist of fate. And it's, you know, it's this, this man, again, he's recalling this memory of a relationship. And, you know, it's very confused in that it seems to be, is it a, a meaningful relationship? I don't know. And then later on, it seems to suggest that this is maybe a prostitute that this man is having just a sort of one night stand with, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, he talks about, uh, you know, they walked along by the old canal, a little confused. I remember well, so there he is changing the tense again. He's talking about something else. He's talking about a person. And then he says, I remember well, stopped into a strange hotel with a neon burning bright. He felt the heat of the night hit him like a freight train moving with a simple twist of fate. So it's it is it I I I don't know if I would use the word depressing, but it is a very depressive song. It is someone who I, I saw this description once about the song, and it was it, it, this person said it is a song about someone yearning for connection so profoundly that even connection itself won't cure it, which I thought was actually pretty good because this, this person is so lost in their pain and their reverie of this relationship that they can never get back that. 
you feel like even if something gets better in their life, it's it's never gonna it's never he's never gonna recover from this lost thing that he has because it's it's just that decimating to him. And yeah, it is incredibly sad. And musically, yeah, the change up from Tangled Up in Blue is is pretty startling. Uh, but it's it, it, as you said, it is also startlingly beautiful. I mean, it really is. Um, captivating considering how sort of dark this whole thing is yeah and it's in the context of the album that's something that i try not to forget about is just that time period he says that blood on the tracks is not autobiographical but in other interviews he also says yeah i was you know playing about that time in my life and then in other there's a famous recording he did for budokan and i'm sure you've heard it before yes a simple twist of fate and at the very beginning he says uh here's a simple love story that happened to me yeah and And, uh it's how you said that he changes from third person to first person um he also does that in tangled up in blue sure in live versions i don't know if you uh, have heard those where he switches back and forth between I and he. Yep. And like you said, it's that idea that it's so it's so heartbreaking that he wants to detach from it and project it onto another character so that he doesn't have to live it as himself. Um, it's so hard to understand that, especially because throughout the song he changes back from I and he on the actual recording. Mm-hmm. And someone would think, oh, maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he just. Uh, forgot to re-record it or something but this song is one of the rare ones on blood on the tracks that he didn't re-record um he had a recording for blood on the tracks in september 1974 and then also again in 19 uh december right 74 right when he went to minnesota and re-recorded a bunch of the songs yeah yeah this is just bare bones you know acoustic with a with a little bit of bass in the back and um it's the music itself i think it's so bare bones and it's very little instrumentation that allows that emotion to come through especially it highlights his voice too bob dylan is known for singing and you believing every single word that he says but this is one of those songs where it actually is highlighted more than most songs and um it's also one of those songs where it's pretty straightforward what he's saying it's there's hardly any symbolism there's it's basically telling a story it's like looking at a painting Mm-hmm. That's why another reason why I love this song because it actually feels like one of those oil paintings of a person standing on the you know on a dock somewhere alone. It, that image comes to my mind for some reason on this song. I can see that. Yeah, uh, the, as the song continues, he says he woke up. He woke up. The room was bare. He didn't see her anywhere. He told himself he didn't care. Pushed the window open wide. Felt an emptiness inside to which he just could not relate. Brought on by a simple twist of fate. And then he goes down. This 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 guy. Uh, you know, he wakes up and this this woman is gone. He tries to find her again. He says he goes down, hunts her down by the waterfront docks where the sailors all come in, which again suggests that she is some level like a prostitute. I mean, that she's hanging out on the docks where the sailors come in. And then he says, yeah. maybe, maybe she'll pick him out again. How long must he wait one more time for a simple twist of fate? So it's like it's this this powerful relationship this man is feeling. And yet this woman is probably, again, just a hooker that you know, might did he doesn't mean any more to her than any of the sailors that she's spending time with, which is, you know, you have this sympathy for this guy because he's fallen so head over heels for someone who clearly doesn't care much about him as far as he knows. And then, so you've got all these phrases, you've got all these, uh, these verses with the, the he and the he and the he. And then, then the final verse is people tell me it's a sin to know and feel too much within. I still believe she was my twin. But I lost the ring. She was born in spring, but I was born too late. Blame it on a simple twist of fate. And that's how the song ends. And that that last verse 
has never failed to completely murder me. Uh, you know, yeah. it, because, uh, you know, I've mentioned this on the show before where uh, I think I maybe even mentioned on the episode of Long Play that I did with my friend Bob Fisher where we talked about this entire album where, you know, at the time that I really got into Blood on the Tracks and I was buying all the Dylan records, I was in the middle of a very painful relationship and this album was, was very helpful to that. And, you know... The, the not to get into too much of the gory details, but the the person that I was having this trouble with, you know, I was I was having a very similar dynamic than the, that the man in this song is having, let's say. And the line yeah. about she was born in spring, but I was born too late seems to suggest an age difference between the two people uh, that may be taking it yeah. too literally, but it seems to suggest that. And I was having that same thing. And that was something that I thought maybe was a problem. And so to hear that line, uh, the idea that, you know, this relationship might have worked had you been born a little earlier really was, uh, you know, exquisite but painful to hear. Uh, and again, the fact that this man shifts from the tenses, from the from the talking about someone else to talking about himself really gets right up in your face of this guy is he's always going to be playing a game of what if. What if this had happened? What if that had happened? Would the, would things have turned out better? And of course, if you go down that path, you are going to be haunted for the rest of your life worrying about that kind of what if. It really is a immensely powerful way to end the song. Yes. And one of the things that I know he says constantly that this album is not about him. And I, I try to take him at his word, but you shouldn't do that with Bob Dylan because he likes to play games with his fans and sure people does. that try to try to translate his songs. I think, I've, and maybe you disagree, but I think this is a, a story about him at the time that he was um, going through the very last part of his trying to save his relationship with his wife at the time. And he was known as, you know, running around with women at that time. And another thing is I've heard other interpretations of this song about being about Suze Rotolo. Yeah, I mean, people have suggested that this is uh, about – well, you know what? Let me backtrack a little. Uh, one of the things I have talked about on the show again is is that Bob is uh, willing to rework these songs uh, in, in any other context. He doesn't seem to regard them as very sacred, which is interesting considering uh, you know how important songwriting is to the man's legend. But he, he himself has played fast and loose with this. And uh, he did a live version of the song less than a year later on a PBS tribute to John Hammond, which was his first producer uh, in the very early – I mean it was the, he was the guy who basically – quote unquote discovered Bob Dylan and signed him to a record contract for Columbia Records so there was a tribute to John Hammond and Bob sang a couple of songs and one of the songs he sang was Simple Twist of Fate and instead of the final verse which I quoted he sings this people tell me it's a crime to feel too, to feel too much at any one time she should have caught me in my prime she would have stayed with me instead of going off to sea and leaving me to meditate upon that simple twist of fate so I mean first of all not only is that an amazing verse, I mean, just by itself, uh, I mean, the rhyme scheme in there of, you know, time and prime stayed with me going off to sea, leaving me to meditate. I mean, it's just it's really sort of beautiful. But the whole idea of going off to sea seems to be a direct reference to Suze Rotolo, which was Bob's first sort of big girlfriend. She's pictured on the cover of uh, The Freewheel and Bob Dylan. And, you know, because she left for Italy. Uh, while they were to get, you know, when they were together, she then took a trip to Italy right at the height of his sort of fame. And that he ended up writing Boots of Spanish Leather about that and some other love songs. And it really apparently 
Um, their, their relationship was apparently not going real well, and then she went to Italy for a while to – she was an art major, I believe, and that apparently damaged the relationship even further or something like that. And so here, you know, when you re- when you hear that verse, you seem to think, well, he's talking – he's directly talking about Suze Rotolo here, and that would seem to suggest – and this is another interpretation I've heard about this album, that Blood on the Tracks is not about just, quote-unquote, just his wife. It's about all of the women that have been in his life. And Technical Blue may be about this one woman, but, but this symbol to Cepeda is about another woman. And the idea that, you know, this, this, this spirit that the man is in love with is manifesting itself across different women in a man's life. Now, I don't know if I totally buy that because those are individual people, and that seems almost reductive to reduce all the different women in your life to just one being that zips in and out, especially since Suze Rotolo and Sarah Dillon existed on earth at the same time. Um, but, but nevertheless, that verse is still there and it seems such a direct reference to, to Suze that it does seem to suggest that the album is about a man's relationship to the women in his life in total, not just one woman. And, Again, it's something else where, you know, I wouldn't change that final verse of the original song for anything in the world because I think it's so brilliant and it speaks to me so profoundly. But here he is doing a live version with another set of verses that make that that are great. And so it's like, man, the man just never stops reinventing. And even though he might tinker with something to the point where it's no longer as good, you know, that original version is still out there. And then you can enjoy this version, too. Uh, and so it's just it's just remarkable. And so for a song that seems so delicate, uh, it it stands up to sort of being reinterpreted. He's done it live a bunch of times. Uh, he has recorded it. He's performed it 684 times from 75 yeah. through 2015. That's a pretty good amount, considering that's a song that probably doesn't, you know, get the crowds dancing. Uh, in a concert hall, it's, it's you know it's kind of sad and meditative, and so 684 times is pretty good, and you probably have to get in a really particular mood to sing it. So it, it's clearly something he's proud of, as he should be, of course. He's proud of everything on Blood on the Tracks for Pete's sakes. But uh, you know, it's and and it's been covered a lot. It's it, people know it as one of you know um, a great songs. I think um, Rolling Stone put it on like number 31 of his all-time greatest songs, and I think that's probably pretty fair. I'd maybe even place it a little higher, but everyone seemed to recognize it as, yeah, this thing is a, another masterpiece following a masterpiece on Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, and have you ever considered, like, the contradictions in the song? Not just the I-he thing, but also um, she looked at him and he felt a spark tingle to his bones. You would think that's a good thing, like, oh, he's, you know, some something inside of him is being sparked that he wants something positive but then the very next thing he says that's when he felt alone and wished that he'd gone straight yeah i've always wondered about that contradiction <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah it's it's you would think that yeah that's a good thing you know you're you're you felt a spark that's that's good isn't it don't you want to say that about people and then and then yet it's a warning going on yeah there is a lot of the the the, the level of contradictory feelings in this is is pretty remarkable he packs a lot into a pretty short song consisting of just a bunch of short verses you know there really is there's a lot going on here yeah and something i um have always thought about this song it's it's really sad but at the same time it feels like one of those sort of pulp novels that uh, dylan himself probably might have grown up reading you know with sort of the the lurid painted covers it has the, all those visual moments to it it doesn't have any uh it's not like lily rosemary and the jack of hearts which has got murder in it and stuff like that but it just this has that kind of just sad resigned feel to it and and you can almost imagine a cover you know of like a 
you know, wet streets and the dock and everything else. Is that it does it does paint a, quite a picture. We keep using the word paint, and of course, Dylan himself gives gave credit to the um, the painter Norman Rabin, who he took classes from right around this time, and he gave credit to Rabin and said that it was Rabin that helped him look at uh, life differently and look at his art differently. And the first album that resulted in that new feeling is this was blood on the track. So you could, you could, no one could argue that was not a success. Uh, so yeah, yeah, this 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 song really does paint a wonderful picture, and it said it, it's such a great change up from Tangled Up in Blue that uh, it you know it keeps the energy of the album going, even though you would think any song trying to follow Tangled Up in Blue is is going to have a hard a hard time of it. So um, yeah, it said I, I mentioned he's done it a bunch of times in concert. It does appear on the Budokan album. There is another version of it on the live 1975 bootleg series compilation because he did do it in concert there. And it was on the Dylan 2007 sort of greatest hits collection. So it's a truly wonderful song. Uh, and I mean, anybody who's listening to this already knows blood on the tracks. I can't imagine anyone who's interested in a Bob Dylan podcast doesn't already own blood on the tracks. So yeah, I don't, I don't need to, like rec- I don't need to recommend it to anybody, but if there is anyone who's listening to this who hasn't bought that album, I mean, go pick it up. Even if you've never been, uh, in a bad relationship, and first of all, lucky you. Um, you'll love that album because it's a masterpiece. So, um, is there anything else we want to talk about? Simple twist of fate before we sign off, Patrick. Uh, just that I'm still curious to know if this, and it's been bothering me for a long time. Ever since I first started reading the interpretations of this album, it's so hard to interpret Bob Dylan. But I, w- I really would like to know if it's actually about him and this time because he likes to say. I read an interview from 2007 where he said none of the songs on Blood on the Tracks are about him, and that he actually uh, took a lot of inspiration for that album from Anton Chekhov's short stories. I don't know if you've heard of that angle that he put I, out there. I have. I have not read any of those stories, but I have heard of that angle, yeah. Yeah, I I uh, read The Shooting Party in preparation for this episode, and um, the, there are a few things that stick out, including a few uh, lines from this song. Um, right, the bit about the, coin the, parrot, the, the parrot that talks, right? There's a parrot in yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there's some credence to what he said, but I, I honestly think the song is about him and at that time. And to be honest, it's probably about him uh, running around with women <laughs> during that time to an extent because that's what he was known for during that time period. Um, and it was one of the reasons why his marriage fell apart. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's a, you know, a case of you know, great pain making great art. And that, that happens... Uh, a lot uh, to people, and, the, and uh, you know. The last thing I would say is that this is, if you if you look at all of the um, Dylan albums, there's a lot of symbolism and uh, wh- there's wide open space to make interpretations of different things. But I honestly think Blood on the Tracks is probably his most literal album, and I think you have to look at it in the context of it coming off the hills of um, him re-signing with Columbia Records mm-hmm. and them hounding him for a new record, and. It's one of those rare times that Bob Dylan sings about his true emotions in a straightforward manner. And he was under that time constraint of having to release a new album after he just signed his new Columbia Records deal. And he had a lot of material to work with just from his own life at that time. So you have to look at Blood on the Tracks in that context. But this is one of the most beautiful songs I have ever heard in my life. Um, It's up there with I think it's better than even Like a Rolling Stone. Um, Wow. Yeah, it's truly beautiful and it's heartbreaking, but... Anyone can relate to this, I think. Well, yes, I, I, that's probably true. Uh, and if you can't, again, lucky you, if you can't relate to this, uh, I, know, <laughs> exactly. I know that I can. Um, one last thing about Blood on the Tracks, and I may have mentioned this when I was on with Bob on Long Play, but um, apparently when Dylan first started working on Blood on the Tracks, he had a notebook 
which featured all the songs uh, that he wanted to record. And there were at least five or six other songs that have never been heard. And no one seems to know whether though the the titles are known. I don't have them in front of me, but the titles of them are known. Uh, no one seems to know if they were recorded, which is amazing. You would think that the Bob Dylan, everything the man ever did from 1962 on, would have been documented within an inch of its life. But apparently, that's not the case. And so, no one seems to know whether those five or six other songs ever got recorded. There is that one outtake called "Up to Me," which appeared on the Biograph compilation, which was an outtake from "Blood on the Tracks." But no one knows if those other five or six ever got uh, recorded. Now, there was apparently a first day of recording this album where a lot of stuff was run through and none of it was particularly shortlisted for the album. And the records for that session seemed to have disappeared or were never made. And so no one seems to know what was recorded that first day. And some of the Dylanologists that I have read over the years have said, if there was ever a chance that those five or six other songs were recorded, that was the day. Because no one seems to know what was done. And, you know, you would think that if you're trying to figure out what to do on the album, it would make sense to run through all the material you had. So, you know, we can only hope that someday out there those songs do exist because, man, I would love to hear outtakes of original songs from Blood on the Tracks. Not that Blood on the Tracks is not enough because it is, but the idea that there might be other material out there that we haven't heard yet is so tantalizing. I I tend to think that it doesn't exist because I would think Sony would have marketed that by now uh, because that's a goldmine. Or maybe they're just waiting for the right moment or something. But, uh, you know, I hold out hope that those other songs do exist. Because the one outtake, which is up to me, which is, is brilliant. We haven't covered it on the show yet, but we will. So, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Everything on Blood the Tracks is amazing. And Simple Twist of Fate is amazing. So, um, Patrick, uh, thank you so much for coming on and doing the show, man. I really appreciate it. It's, it's great getting to know you uh, over Twitter. And we've had a lot, you know, some fun back and forth about Bob. And uh, I wish you every luck in the world and meeting him when he comes around in October. Yeah, definitely. I'll keep you updated on that. And thank you so much for uh, inviting me on this. I'm really happy someone picked up the ball and did something like this, <laughs> like your podcast, because like uh, you said in the beginning on the first episode, you you did a search on iTunes and you couldn't find anything. And no, you were there's surprised no, there's that no, no one... Bob Dylan podcast. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, exactly. And I'm glad someone finally did it. I, I always wanted to do something like this, but... Uh, I'm not one of those go-getters like you and uh, oh just God. jumping just into it and starting go-getters. something like this is awesome. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I am I'm happy that the people have responded to it. And I'm, it's great that I'm getting to meet new people like yourself to talk to because this is a lot of fun. So thank you so much. We wish you all the luck in the world meeting Bob. That would be amazing. Uh, you know, if no photo, it didn't happen, Patrick. I'm just saying. Uh, if you want to follow Patrick on uh, Twitter, what's your Twitter handle again? It's Patrick J. Dillon. And going along with what you just said, something that kind of scares me if I do get the chance to meet him, I've heard that he does not take photos with people, which oh, is kind of depressing. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so hopefully. I don't know. I'm still praying beyond all hope that it will happen. But, okay. of course, if it does happen, you'll be one of the first people to know. Thank you. <laughs> I ask you, is this your first Dillon concert or have you seen him before? I've seen him. Uh, I've actually seen him about seven times before oh, okay. this. Uh, okay. I love his new output too, Fallen Angels and Shadows in the Night. I've been listening to it nonstop, so everybody should check those out too. Like I said, just like w- with the song we talked about, Simple Twist of Fate, he sings with emotion in a way that no one else does, I, I like to think. You actually believe every single word that he says. 
And it's that voice probably more than anything that, that puts that across. I agree. I completely agree. So, again, Patrick, thank you so much. Enjoy the show. Uh, I know I had a lot of fun when I saw Bob this year, so it'll be great. And I would love to have you back on sometime. So, uh, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to follow the show, it's uh, at the Twitter. It's uh, pod underscore Dylan. And, of course, you can find all the episodes and leave comments and stuff over on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, we'll see you then. Bye. People tell me it's a sin to know and feel too much within. I still believe she was my twin, but I lost the rain. She was born in spring, but I was born too late. Blame it on this simple twist of fate. Twist the face.